welcome back this is the second episode of diaspora redefined you guys have no idea how excited i am to be launching the second episode of this project um i think i mentioned this no i I probably didn't mention this in the last episode um but this project has been on my heart for quite some time now a couple of years and it's taken me a while to really polish exactly what I wanted to do and how I was able to do that what resources did I have like how I was going to approach this so it's taken me quite some time to figure that out talking to other people um, being exposed to different experiences really absorbing from the immigration field as a social worker there's some crazy stuff happening out there so but i've learned so much in the past couple years um and uh yeah so this is this is um a larger project this is not just a show it's not just entertainment the purpose of um diaspora redefined is that it ends up being a larger project a project that can impact the community the immigration community in different ways it's still something that i'm thinking through that i'm trying to evaluate then again these ideas take time to figure out but in the meantime i have no 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 words to thank you all for all the support that you've given me in conversations when we've met or through phone calls text messages um i truly am so so grateful for the support because when you listen in you not only listen um but you're also giving me the opportunity to share with you conversations and stories that have impacted my life deeply um and have really changed me i feel like so much and how i view the world in the past couple of years so some of the purposes of of the objectives of the podcast is that people that are on the pod can talk about their life experiences and feel empowered to contribute to the new communities that they're in and that's something that's so important to me because when we move from from a place where we feel comfort and belonging to a place that we don't we may feel like we're the outsider that we don't have anything to give and that is not true so this is just an avenue for people to be able to gain that feeling of belonging that they also have something to give back to the new communities that they're in so um this is a platform for them another one of our objectives is that Sometimes we go through things in life and we think that we're the only ones that have experienced those things and and that's wrong. Um, So the idea is that through the stories of other people, people that are experiencing those same things for the first time or um, have just arrived to the U.S., they can feel comfort and can feel support, Um, even if it's through a person that really doesn't maybe know them so some of the episodes are going to be in different languages mostly spanish i mean not mostly spanish some episodes will be fully in spanish some of them will be spanglish um i've committed myself to use translator if i need to so that's part of of the project and i hope you guys can enjoy that too so i will 
enable the content for it to be accessible to everyone so everyone can enjoy it too and in uh, in English or other languages. So um, that being said, um, oh, and lastly, another of our objectives is that listeners, we can also deconstruct a lot of assumptions that we have around immigration that are not always true. Um, and they're hard to deconstruct where we're not exposed to the stories firsthand. So through the conversations, we really want to rethink what it means to migrate while other people that have experienced that can redefine what it means to be away from home. So that being said, this conversation, this episode is going to be slightly, not slightly, quite different from the first one. Um, in this episode, we, I'm talking to two friends of mine and we're talking about our experiences, um, their experiences as a second generation migrant and, and, um, my experience as, um, a Puerto Rican living in far away from home. So in, in this episode, I'm a little bit more involved in the conversation, talking a little bit more about my life experiences. And I'm talking to two people that I admire so much. They're so smart. And I love our conversations. The conversation, this conversation is honestly so similar to a lot of conversations that we have all, all the time when we get together. So being able to include you guys in in that is really special to me so without further ado um let's get to it i'm so excited i'm so excited to get on to this conversation okay let's uh, um i wasn't like fully prepared for this so i oh, think well. that we're gonna kind of like swing it and um see how it goes but uh, okay so diaspora redefined is a podcast to um, talk about us building home away from home and who we are as individuals that are influenced by different ethnicities and different backgrounds and as diaspora first second generation um, how those multiple cultural influences shape who we are so I'm from Puerto Rico you guys know that where are you guys from I'm Hyung. <coughs> I was born in Denver Colorado but my parents are from Korea. Citizen of the world, boy. <laughs> no, citizen of the imperial state, United States of America. Here. <laughs> and my name's Terrence. I was born in Virginia, but my parents are from Hong Kong. Um, I was actually born in Virginia, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that is that. right. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. The same yeah. rock. <laughs> the same rock, the same rope all the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. So... I guess that a question that we can start to talk about a, a question that we can we can we can start discussing would be uh, what does diaspora even mean for you guys? Let's just start this conversation. Well, it's a word that I've only started using rather recently. I would always use like second gen, Korean American, Korean American, Asian American, but then I think the word diaspora. I had only known it through the Bible, actually. Really? Sometimes in sermons, people say the Jewish diaspora. Mm -hmm. So I always assumed that it was like for Jewish people. Mm -hmm. But I think these days, it's... And maybe as I enter into academia and the humanities, I think diaspora is also just becoming a word that's... It's becoming a little bit more mainstream. So what it means to me... I think the word diaspora has a more intentional way of connecting us back to our mainland. Mm -hmm. 
that I think maybe Asian American doesn't necessarily do. The diaspora makes me feel like, oh, I used to belong somewhere. Like there's a place yeah. where I can go back to, where like it's supposed to be where I'm from, you know, whatever that might mean. So those are kind of my preliminary thoughts. I think for, for, for me, it kind of like gives you, it gives me a sense of belonging where I, where I'm far away from the place where I belonged, kind of. Yeah, I never use the term diaspora in normal conversation. Uh, so I'm not really sure what it, like if I can articulate what it means to me. Do you, do you feel like you are diaspora? I, I, that's not the first word that comes to mind, mm. right? I think, yeah. I think if, like, if someone asked me on the street, like, what am I? Mm-hmm. I would say Asian American, right? Sure. Um, or, and if they like, really wanted to get into the specifics, like, I would say, like, oh, yeah, I'm Chinese American, or oh, my parents are from Hong Kong. Um, mm-hmm. And those things are all like, really specific. Um, I don't think I don't think the word diaspora would necessarily come up in conversation. Yeah. Um, so, like, I think for me, it's like it's a hard to articulate what exactly that means to me because I don't normally use that term. Um, but I, but I think like like when when someone says diaspora, like what comes in like to mind for me is like a a community that is that has a strong unifying um feature cultural feature that is existing in in a larger majority culture that it doesn't originally belong to yeah um and and i think diaspora can honestly i think i think we normally use it in um in regards to like culture or ethnicity uh but it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to that like um in a way, like you could see it with ties to the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. or other ways. Oh, wait, in what sense? As as in, like, oftentimes you see people in the LGBTQ community forming communities outside of outside of yeah. like no, quote unquote normal life, and forming what like I think you could consider kind of a diaspora in a way because their 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 small minority has a has a unifying. Um, feature, I guess you could say, um, and and they often exist in a larger, like in in a large city or in a large community, like where where they're they're the minority in that setting. Well, what do you think would be like the parallel mainland? Because like, I guess, I guess like conceptual, it's easy if I'm Korean American that like I'm that's Korean. Cor- that's yeah, I go back to Ma- Korea. Mm-hmm. right, yeah. right. Um, I think would it be just be like generally like society? And we've kind of like, in a it's way, like a marginalized diaspora. them. Yeah, I I think that's like a meta, it's like a meta diaspora. That's a good point. <laughs> so the mainland I mean, would be like ideally a society, and where like everyone is kind of like belonging. The mainland yeah. is humanity. and you're removed from that. Yeah, I mean, I think there are, there are, like I don't know. This might be a little like an, an unfiltered take that I haven't really thought totally through but like there are places like new york or san francisco um where there are i see like the mecca of queer yeah the mecca of of queerness right like um right now in new york it's hell's kitchen 
right? It's like the hot spot for like queer culture, wow. yeah, right? Um, and in in some ways, you can see like the movements of like pride that are happening all over the world, honestly. But like even in other cities in the United States, as kind of outgrowths stemming from um, some of these like really important movements in the LGBTQ um, like civil rights kind of movement like um, is, is it Stonewall is that what is that I'm getting am I getting that right? yeah yeah like the Stonewall incident in in New York yeah um, right like so like these big cities are kind of like the the you could you could call them like the homeland yeah mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. where these they where they have these really defined um, defined communities around a specific feature but I, I mean honestly that's a little like the whole this whole thing is probably a little bit of a stretch no I don't think um, so I don't but think so. I, I think that's that for me that's what comes to mind when I when when diaspora is mentioned oh and so not necessarily tied to your race or it's not ethnicity. necessarily tied to race okay. I think it can be it can be other things too but I think, yeah yeah I think, I think that's the normal point. definition of diaspora is is perfectly reasonable so in in a way kind of like just creates belonging in a place where you've been far removed whatever they might that may be from a country or from a specific group there's one question i think that you've you've mentioned this a couple of times and i want you to talk more about this you've you've used utilized the term fob and (laughs) (laughs) well And honestly, I think that year in Michigan was the first time that I I heard that um, concept. I mean, I'm reading a book that is called Fresh Off the Boat, so Uh I guess it's related. And and as a fellow Asian American, it's the first time that I heard that word. Really? Okay. But you're also from from Virginia. Right, exactly. So I I think it depends on where, what kind of communities you grew up in. It's called Fresh Off the Boat. Right, that's what it stands for, FOB. But in Korean, the word airplane is piengi which starts with like the letter b like it sounds like the letter b right so in korean because like people don't come on the boat anymore we call it fresh off the piengi mm. so it's like fresh off the airplane oh yeah so we're like we're taking fob and we're just like c- constantly like contextualizing it for like the modern time so mm-hmm. like whatever time you live in but it's basically it's it's basically the idea that like you're fresh off the boat and you haven't assimilated or have any like knowledge of how to navigate American culture. Yeah, yeah. And it's like very obvious. So if you see like an international student on a college campus, you know that they're international because they're wearing clothes that just like American people don't wear. You know? Do they though? Oh, big time. You can you <laughs> big can tell you can tell big time. an international Chinese student from a mile away. Yeah, like if I showed like this I is ve- this is very American. Yeah, obviously you have an IKEA hat, you have yeah, merch like, on. Like if I showed up wearing this to Korea, people would be like, "What is like this guy's American?" Yeah, like they would know. Yeah. So, so what is there, what does his attire look like? Like fobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, not to stereotype. <laughs> okay, I don't even know if you should publish this episode anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of international students are very wealthy. Mm-hmm. So you would they wear a lot of designer brand. But then also, like, they tend to wear, like, Asian trending clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So it's, like, wide fit, right? Like, you know, like, my pants where I wear, like, more mm-hmm, wide. Mm-hmm. 
like those are more popular. Uniqlo, right? Mm-hmm. These types yeah. of brands. Um, there's there's make, a lot. Makeup of, is different too. Yeah, there's makeup, a lot of yeah. trends that are happening in Asia that are not happening in the United States, and so there's a lot of international students or people who are immigrating who come over who dress in the in a in a way that is trendy in Asia, but is not trendy in the United States. Yeah, and it's really clear. <laughs> Yeah. It's really, at least from from a, from a fellow Asian's perspective, it's really clear when someone is is not like not born in the United States. Yeah, in a way. Also, I think something that's like a little bit harder to nail down. Like, I don't know if I could necessarily articulate this as well, but there's also a difference in the way that people who are uh, freshly immigrated versus mm-hmm. second generation. Um, there's a difference in the way that they carry themselves. Um, I think because of the cultural differences, um, people who are second generation uh, immigrants, they carry themselves much more like Americans, right? Right, right. Americans. Right, right. I, I think if you talk to most like foreigners, they can they can tell you what an American looks like. Mm-hmm. The way that they, the way that they carry their body, the way that they speak, like there's a there's a distinct like American presence. <laughs> yeah. It's generally loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And generally like like kind of like larger than life in a way. You take um, up a lot of space. You take up a lot of space. Yeah. As do you an American. think? Do you think that uh, because you're second gen, mm-hmm. it does is there a term for second generation? No, just second gen. Lazy. <laughs> I'll just show you. <laughs> oh my goodness, we're gonna have to make some edits. D- disrespectful, rebellious. <laughs> uh, okay, so second generation. Do you think that those are things that you experience, like growing up? What do you mean? What do you mean? What? As in, like you maybe see kind of like a little bit of like ha- clashing in terms of like e- that being your parents carrying more of like Asian characteristics, and then you as their child, second generation, a migrant, taking up more space. So, like, our, par- our parents won't be wearing, like, the designer clothes usually, right? Like, they've assimilated in a way where they, like, wear, like, American clothes now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, like, yeah. cultural value-wise. Exactly. Yeah. And there, it, don't you yeah. think that there was kind of, like, maybe some even, like, clash growing up in those values that they had as parents and then... <laughs> You're growing up in in American culture, but being influenced by parents that are first migrants. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, and maybe I don't know if I'm not a high young. You might be a little bit different, but for me, because I grew up in a, I mean, I grew up in a college town, but the location of the college town is very rural, Southwest Virginia. Um, and so there's a ton of white people, and they're all really southern and country kind of folk. And uh, I think growing up in that environment, um, there's definitely this tension between the way that my parents operate and the way that my friends' parents operate. Um, there's a difference in values. Mm-hmm. Like I think, um, one like like for example, one area that um, is very different. I think is that a lot of Asian cultures they really value family, 
like the 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 bond of family is a very important uh, cultural societal bond, right? Um, in in Chinese culture, we have a whole um, whole branch of philosophy or like a way of living that translates to filial piety. It's the idea that like you have a responsibility to your parents yeah. to behave in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And if you are a parent, you have a certain responsibility towards your children. Um, and this kind of holds society together in a way. Um, and in a lot of American, in a lot of our American counterparts, that just doesn't exist, right? Family isn't quite as important. It's, it's, it's interesting because I think... White families tend to tend to prioritize family bonding in a way that Asian parent Asian families don't. You know, like yes. board games. Bruh, white people oh, love board yeah. game nights, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My parents do not play board games mm -hmm. at all. I don't like they hate board games. And, and maybe it's because like no matter what, like it's always gonna be some type of like language barrier to some extent. Because my parents do like games and we do play board games here and there, but it's not like white people level. You know, they have, like, a closet full of, like, board games. You know, like that. We're you know, going to play like, apple to apple. Yeah, it's wild, bro. Like, I'm shook. Like, I come to the Midwest. I'm like, everybody be playing board games out here. Like, what's going on? Game night. And then, like, in a lot of Asian families, though, it's it's responsibility. It's a very different thing. Like, I mm. think white, white families tend to, like, prioritize, like, bond, like, bonding and, like, having fun. But then Asian families, it's like, you have a responsibility towards me. There's a... There's a Korean folktale where this girl grows up with her father who's blind. And he meets this Buddhist monk who tells him, if you give me this amount of money, I can make you see again. And he's poor. The, the father's poor and he can't afford this. So, But then the daughter overhears. And so she decides to, she knows there's only one way to make that kind of money. And it's to sell her, it's to sell herself to these sailor, to these sailors, to be a sacrifice as an appeasement to the gods of the sea. So she sacrifices herself, and her dad's like, "Don't do it." And she's like, "I'm gonna do it," and she does it, and she's rewarded. So she dies, and she 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 like is sacrificed and thrown overboard, and she goes downstairs. She goes to the bottom of the ocean, and there's like the sea god that hears this story, like, "Oh wow, you are so committed to your father. I'm actually gonna rescue you." Mm -hmm. And so he sends her back up, and she marries a king and lives happily ever after. Well, <laughs> and like, like that kind of story isn't obviously like told as much in like modern Korea. And mm -hmm. I think we should talk about that, like the globalization. Right. I was just going to say globalization. Right? Like mm -hmm. how our cultural values are, are shifting now right? Right. With, the, with the new generations. But like to hear that kind of story growing up versus like Little Red Riding Hood or like Cinderella. Right. Like to have that kind of responsibility to your parents. Mm -hmm. And to have that be rewarded, like, oh, if you can serve your parents that well, you can have everything else you want. Yeah. That's wild. And yeah. I didn't grow up hearing that story. I'm very thoroughly American in many ways, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that even, like, for me in a different way, I think that, you know, me being Latina, um, it's kind of interesting because, like, like, Puerto Rico is a colony. So it's kind of like there's just, like, this conflict between our own values and then colonization because like family is that it's a very tight-knit families you're expected to kind of like 
have very strong bonds with your parents, even though you may not agree with a lot of things or like the environment might be kind of like toxic, but you have like, you have a responsibility to your family and to preserve those relationships. But then it's also like kind of like conflicting with influences, I would say like more Western or American influences where it's like more individualistic and you're like more focused on, on like yourself, on playing the board game. So I think that at least for us, it's like always kind of like clashing in a way because, you know, I mean, even growing up, sometimes I would be like, okay, I want to kind of like be independent and move outside of my parents' house. And people would be like, but what's going on with your family? Like, there's nothing happening. Like, why are when you... Do, when do kids... This is in Korea, and I don't know what it's like in China, but in Korea, you don't leave the home until you get married. Mm-hmm. You stay with your family until you get yeah. married. So in, in Puerto Rico, you if you have like a house, sometimes they would just like build like another apartment on top yeah. of that house and yeah, then you would yeah. live with your spouse there. <laughs> that kind of like for me, yeah. honestly, mom and dad, if you're listening, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> but like, it's kind of like expected. And then if you leave, it's like, why? There's nothing going on. That's, there's nothing wrong with your family. Like, why are you leaving? But it's just like, I want to leave at least like a mile away or have some independence. And I think that we hear a lot of that, that same narrative from the U.S. in a way through social media and yeah, movies yeah. and different things. But it clashes with what is expected. From- I, I actually just had this conversation with my grandparents. Uh, they, you know. I go back to Hong Kong and they ask me every time, you know, like the standard three questions, like, are you still in school? Do you have a girlfriend? Are you okay? Essentially. (laughs) Those are like the standard three questions that I get asked every time, no matter what the situation is. Right. Um, And so like, I'm like, Oh, actually I, I just graduated. And they're like, Oh, okay, great. Um, Are you living with your mom and dad? And I said, no, I actually live like, I live like nine hours away from my parents and yeah. they were so confused. They were like, but why, what, why would you do that? Like, yeah. why don't you just live with your parents? It's easier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. And it was, it was actually really hard for me to like explain to them that like in America, like you don't just like go back and live with your parents when you graduate. Like that's actually seen as like kind of strange. It's actually seen as like a negative thing. Yeah, it's actually seen as a negative thing mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. America. Whereas like in in Hong Kong or like in in broader parts of China, like it's actually seen as like a good thing. Like you're that's normal. That's yeah. what you're supposed to do. Like, like when you graduate, anything- <laughs> you go back home and you live with your parents until you find someone to marry. And when you finally marry someone, that's when you kind of go leave. And, yeah, and leave. That's why I was always shook when white parents like when their kids turn 18 that like, you have to pay rent like i could not understand. oh yeah i could never understand yeah. that you know yes. yeah and even yes. me coming here and, and, and moving to the states some people would be like oh you're already 18 you're an adult you can do everything anything yeah. that you want and i would be in so much trouble you know like <laughs> yeah. i think that in my first year of college this was a little bit of a, an extreme but i think i had a curfew of like 9 p.m my freshman year of college <laughs> She was homeschooled, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I never, I always got there at 8.59. I never miss one day. But the thing is, I think that just maybe, it, it may be just an American thing because even I working with Ukrainian populations, um, my staff 
when they're applying for like public benefits for their clients that they have to report like even if it's a family household like uh like one household if there's one kid that there's 18 that would be a separate application because they're considered adults and they're just like so confused and but they're like but they're not going to they're going to school and they're living in the house with them why would they be an adult and i have to explain them over and over again as in like they're adults in the u.s when they turn 18 like it just works differently and that's just so hard for them to process yeah i i think i don't know it's like if we're i can kind of move the conversation to a like a slight tangent or not not even tangent just a different track (laughs) let's go (laughs) he's Um, like let's talk about the silk road (laughs) 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 let's do it totally um but i think another area that like there's a there's a lot of tension in between like the way that um our asian parents um reared us versus our white counterparts or like the american counterpart is um i think there's in in a lot of asian cultures there's this thing called um it's it's they're they're and not even in asian cultures a lot of african and middle eastern cultures as well um it's what's called an honor shame culture uh-huh. and oh. which does not exist i don't think in the united states like for a lot of white people like it's a, a completely different thing like it just this completely foreign idea um but in a in a lot of asian and like other just the world a lot of other cultures around the world like your identity is is tied very strongly to what family you belong to Mm. and um your behavior reflects not just on you as a person Mm -hmm. but also on the family that you belong to right so there's this really strong sense of um family uh, the family unit Right. And and when I mean family, I'm not just talking about like your mom and dad and your siblings. We're talking like your clan, like your clan, essentially. Like my my last name is Low, and I belong to a family that includes like my grandparents and my cousins and my uncles and aunts and everything like that is that is a family unit. And um, I think a lot of Asian second generation kids they grew up with this tension where from their parents and from their relatives, um, this whole idea of a strong family unit and honor and shame is communicated really strongly, right? So, like, we're not allowed to do anything because it reflects on our parents, mm-hmm. right? Sure, if if sure. I misbehave in class, it means that my parents did a bad job raising me. Right. And that means that I have to behave in class so that other people know that my parents are doing a good job. Right. And it extends even beyond that, right? Um, and mm. so a lot of us grow up with this deep, really deep sense that, that our behavior reflects not just on ourselves, but also on our parents yeah. and, and on, on our siblings and our whole family unit. Um, and so that... that but but that whole like construct that of, of honor and shame is like completely like it's like just doesn't even register hmm. 
in a lot of white people. I found like the whole idea that 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 your individual behavior reflects on your parents or someone else in your family. Like a lot of my white friends would be like, "What?" That's like, that's kind of funny. I I don't think that necessarily like at least in Puerto Rico we have like a lot of similarities, but that's just like. I just think about this one word when you misbehave. People call you malcriado, which means that you were raised poorly. Yeah. The literal translation. Yeah. And it's like, shame on you for doing this. But in, in the, the little translation would be that you were raised poorly. Yeah. Like, shame on your parents. Shame well. on your parents. Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, like, I think the shame culture... The reason we're able to define it like that for Asian cultures is because it extends not only to like the nuclear family, but it extends like to your entire lineage, right? But like I was having a conversation with someone who's now in his 70s and he was talking about the mistakes he made as a parent and he grew up in a time of like very extreme fundamentalism and he, he saw his son washing the car on a Sunday. And he told it, and he was furious at his son because like you shouldn't be working on the on mm -hmm. on the Sabbath, you should be resting. And he, he was yelling at his son, and he said he still remembers the words of yelling at his son and saying, "What would our neighbors think about us?" Mm. Right. So like shame is shame is a universal like human feeling, but I think when like sociologists like categorize these cultures, it's 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 mainly to say that shame functions in a way where it extends not only to the nuclear family but beyond. Mm -hmm. But I think in American culture, you, you're not you're never thinking like, well what happened to the Smith like dynasty? Oh my god. Right? Or the lineage, yeah. right? It's like, oh like you're bringing like individual shame to me to some instance. Mm -hmm. But it's not generational necessarily. Yeah. So uh, okay, absolutely generational. I, I sorry, I just want to like follow up on that. I think in in a lot of especially in Chinese culture, right? Like um in, in more traditional versions of Chinese culture, you, you do get this, like, if you do something bad, like, your ancestors would be ashamed of you, mm -hmm. yeah. right? It's not just, like, your immediate family members. Yeah. It's also, like, your entire lineage. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the shame is, like, multiplied, right? Because, like, people that you don't even know yeah. are ashamed of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so that's shame passed on generations and, and families. But what about honor through names? Like how we, how we honor the past through our mm -hmm. names. Like we, we, are, we, at least for like a lot of different cultures, you carry certain type of, um, of like social standing or honor if you have like XYZ name. Or at least oh, like what like like at you have you have a pretty American name, you have a Korean name. Yeah. Like how how like in growing up I think that in the United States I think that that is kind of like maybe part of like assimilation process to like what name do you use for other people? I was reading one book and and um, someone quoted about their immigration experience, like my mother protected me through my name, giving me like an American name. I mean, like, okay, this is also a tangent, maybe just in the direction, but like talking with a lot of my Indian friends, they talk about the caste system, right? And how like your name represents like what cat like you can just immediately know what kind of person this is and how much privilege they've had. Mm. You can't do that with the name Smith. 
<laughs> but maybe maybe you can maybe we're just like have these no you can't like, like if someone's like oh my name's adam smith i'm like you could either have grown up in a mobile home like single parent or it could be like filthy rich like i don't know and you live in a gated community like i have no idea if your name is adam smith yeah 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 but with a lot of like and and, and so i think like in the u.s it's not the ca- it's not that the caste system doesn't exist it's just repackaged in a way where it's more invisible Mm because names still mean stuff right if someone says like my name last name is clinton that means something right 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 right. um and and, or like i don't trump (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) like names still mean something in the u.s it's just harder to it's it's more loosely defined Mm -hmm. or or if you want to bring it to michigan the devos family exactly exactly devos right you know right away they're like um, rich. <laughs> yeah, super rich. But I guess with my Korean name, um, at least we've always, my father has always talked about with me how people would perceive me if I shared that my name was Korean, right? Which I've shared with you guys before. But for the podcast's sake, basically, like my dad was telling me, you would have a harder time getting a job. And he was speaking about this because he had immigrated to the US in the 90s so it's much harder back then but today i think with dei and whatnot actually it might be a benefit but i think now for us as adults was it like that growing up possibly it's hard to tell because like i wasn't actively job searching yeah you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like the only experiences i have are like kids saying my name and like maybe the opportunities I had in like a middle school classroom. Mm-hmm. But that, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure I mean, how that translates. Yeah. I think, I think definitely like, well, my parents, my parents didn't make a great decision. <laughs> they put my Chinese name as my first name. Oh yeah, uh, exactly. So he's the same as me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, my my first name is Chinese. It's like a Romanized spelling of my Chinese name. And then my middle name is English. And then my last name is Chinese. Well, technically, my last name is in Cantonese spelling, which makes everything more complicated. But um, my best friend was the opposite. So mm. his first name was his English name. Yeah. And then his middle name was his Chinese name. Yeah. And then his last name is Chinese, obviously. Um, I don't... I don't, I'm not aware <laughs> of any discrimination mm. or yeah. like anything like weird that would happen um, because yeah. I was named in that particular way. But I will say like it did, it did add a layer of, of explanation, right? Sure. Where yeah. Every, every time someone, I, every time my name came up on a form, I have to spell it for them. Like it's not a name that they can just like, know how to spell Sophia yeah. Yeah. Uh, or like Sophia or like mm-hmm. David or something like you know how to and you know how that's spelled yeah um I would ha- always have to spell it out for them I would always get that second look mm-hmm. that like uh sorry what did you say kind of look of like wait can you actually spell that for me yeah um or even like like when I went to college I think I've told this story recently like where I um every time roll call would happen uh they would get to my name and they'd be like, Yan Bang, low. And they'd be like, just call me Terrence. Like, I go by Terrence, everyone knows me by Terrence, just call me Terrence. And they'll be like, okay. And then they have to like 
revise my name. It was only until like my junior year in college where the University of Illinois finally decided that like, oh yeah, like we want to offer the opportunity to put a preferred name in the system. So that on mm. local, like your preferred name comes. This is like up. what twenty nineteen. Yeah, this is like twenty like, eighteen or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Like they decided, like, oh yeah, like maybe we should change that system. Anyways, um, I like, and then I I was even in a class once where like I got an email three weeks into the semester, where my instructor was like, "Dear Yambang, I'm about to drop you from this course because you haven't shown up in class for the past three <laughs> weeks," and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like I, I like I literally replied to the email and said like, "This is Terrence." Yeah. I literally sit it's in the front funny. row. Like I'm answering this email as I look at you in yeah, the like, eyes. <laughs> like how did you not connect the dots that there's a random Terrence in your class that isn't on your roll and there's a random Yang Ban Yan Bang that's not showing up? So like, clearly I I don't know I don't know what was going through his brain, but like stuff like that. I don't know if it's discrimination, but it is like it. it it is, it is a reminder. It's isolating. Yes. It is, it is, it is a constant reminder that yeah, you're different. Maybe it just become it, it's unintentional, but definitely an extra layer. And I think I'm just like, maybe this just doesn't have to do anything. But I'm thinking about, back to what you were talking about initially, about diaspora being like also a concept that includes not only like culture, but displacement of other social groups. And I think I've always thought about like preferring names as people like transgender people that want to use other names but i've never kind of realized that this is also a way of enabling other communities to be part and say like i prefer to use my english name to kind of like even maybe protect myself in a way i don't want to explain i don't want to receive an email every time that i'm not attending class or i have to tell you how to spell out my name or explain where I'm from or have more difficulties getting into this, you know, accessing these opportunities. So I don't know. It's kind of like a way of including different sectors, not only maybe this one particular group that I had in my mind. It is, it is interesting that they use the the term, the phrase like preferred because preference almost sounds like, Oh, I would rather have this name over this. But like for a lot of Asian Americans, it's not our preferred name. Like, we have to use this name. Uh, oh, You know, yeah. preferred has a sense of, like, a positive connotation, That's right? That's actually I prefer really this, this fr- these fries over these fries, right? Because I like them more than this. I don't, nece- I don't know if you necessarily like Terrence more of your actual name, right, that your parents gave you. Yeah. But you do it as a way of protection, right? Yes. Exactly. But yes. maybe you just prefer that Absolutely. protection, Right. Over than the the exposure and the vulnerability yeah. that it brings. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's more definitely more of an exposure and a vulnerability thing because it is extremely isolating and embarrassing. It's emba- if, okay it's, for some weird reason. Why is it that our first feeling is always embarrassment? Yeah, I mean, right? it, is, it is very embarrassing every single class period. Yeah, you have to speak up to your teacher and explain that you want to be called by a different name. Um, and it's it's less about I think the pref- like the preferred name. It's less about like choosing a name that you want to be called. It's 
it's more like avoiding that experience. Yeah, yeah. It's more of an yeah. avoidant behavior. It, it should be like, like a, the name that you choose to avoid awkward yeah. situation. It shouldn't yeah. be your preferred mm-hmm. name. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. 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 The, yeah. You know, like I, 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 I'm just thinking random stuff right now about like the role that these individuals play in our life and kind of like defining our identity that we're forced to use XYZ name. And I just remember, um, I think I was probably in like first grade in school. There was this one kid that he was from Colombia and he he came up. I, I to our teacher, I, I can't remember what was the context, but I remember very clearly that he said that he was Colombian and our teacher said, no, you're not. You live in Puerto Rico right now and you've been living here for a while. You're not Colombian, you're Puerto Rican. And that to me kind of like struck me in a way that I remember it vividly to this day. I was like, who are you to tell this guy that he is not Colombian because he's living in some place that is not his home country? So I just think about like the you using names because other people can't pronounce them correctly or can't spell them or adds that extra layer of vulnerability and then the role that these individuals are also playing in shaping where we're from and where we belong it's kind of like really defining yeah in in these formative years yeah. i i will say also like um one thing that's that's i it's not unique to chinese but one thing that's di- really difficult about chinese is also the fact that like whenever someone who's not a native speaker tries to speak the like your your chinese name it's like you're it's just, always offensive it's always it's offensive and mm. s- it's slight, slightly offensive in a way because they can't Unless they're like trying really hard. It's so bad. It always sounds like we're making fun of you. Yes, exactly. Like it's like we're doing our best to like say like yang bang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right. And so like because because I'm not going to even try. Because the tonal because Chinese is a tonal language, right? Mm-hmm. And like it's really hard for people who aren't used to a tonal language to like adapt and try to say something that has, involves tones. Yeah. Um, and so like not only is it like my personal embarrassment. But also something I realized recently is it's also I'm trying to save you from embarrassment, right? Yeah. Like, I'm trying. I'm like I'm avoiding bringing out my Chinese name because then we're gonna have to go through this whole like debacle where like you have to try to pronounce it and then you have to try to struggle with the tones and then I have to teach you what tones are and then we have to go through this whole like back and forth, right? And I am not about to do that. In front of a hundred people, of my, yeah. like, and a hundred people of my yeah, classmates, yeah. like, I, I, it is just too much. Even with my friend groups, like, even with my friend groups and stuff like that, I'm like, it's just, it's more hassle than it's worth. Yeah. So I'm just going to introduce myself as Terrence, and everyone's gonna know me, my Terrence, right? And are you are you still okay with that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, personally, I'm very proud of my Chinese name. Sure. Um, because I know that it's something that my parents chose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, as a way of like as as an outpouring of their love mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, not every Chinese name is this way, but a lot of Chinese names carry the hopes and dreams of their parents. Hmm. Um, so like, this is a little bit like not super serious. Well, I mean it is it because it happens. But like a lot of Chinese parents, they choose. Um, a character in their child's name that has to do something with money. Let's go. 
right? Because because their hopes and, their hope their hope and dream for their child is that they will be rich. Right, right. Right? They or they will be richer than they, than they are. Yeah, sure. Right? Um and my parents were I I really appreciate them and I'm really glad that they didn't do that cuz that's a little cringe for me. Well, you're also a musician so you would have failed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 100%. Um but but the like the principle is still there, right? Like yeah. my name represents what my parents hope that I will become. Yeah. Or like or something mm-hmm. that they that they that they value, right? And so in my case, I'm actually very proud of my name. I know I know some of my Asian American friends are, are not proud of their names because of all the social stigma that comes with it. Um, I think for me, the reason why I don't bring it up is just to avoid the hassle. Yeah. Right. Right. I, protection pers- again. Yeah. I, protection. I, mean, I personally like, am very proud of my name. Yeah. I feel like that discourse is common too, where it says like, education, education, educating the other. It's exhausting. I was just going to say that because you mentioned like the, it requires like the pronunciation requires teaching yeah, and a layer of explanation. And I think that carrying this identity as diaspora means in a way that I don't want to say responsibility because I hate to carry that responsibility. It's so difficult at times, but it's like an extra layer of difficulty or challenge that you'll experience. And it's never like the responsibility. It's always like the straw that breaks the camel's back where like in isolation, if your life was good, it's not a big deal to tell someone like how to do the tones and right and like say your name. But it's like when you're having a hard day and you're like at the cashier and the, the, the cashier is like, hey, like, whatever. Or, like, so there's some incident where some stranger Anytime you, you have to fill out a governmental form. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's always, like, those instances where, like, education becomes exhausting because you're already, like, stressed out, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I will say also, like, um, I think this thing is, is, is one thing that is somewhat unique to uh, the second generation experience, right? Uh, because if you're a first, if you're fresh off the boat, or if you're a first generation immigrant, you have an accent, mm-hmm. and yeah. and people can tell, right? Yeah. Like whoever is like on the other side oh of the goodness. register, or like who's on the other side, like helping you out fill out your forms, like they can tell that you're not a native English speaker. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of a social like um, expectation, expectation reordering. reordering. Yeah. Like they'll they'll be more kind to you. Because they know that you're that that you're dealing with a like a language right, barrier, right, right? right? But there's there's always for me a little bit of like a dissonance where they see my first name and they look up at me and they assume that I'm an international student. And then they're like, "Wait, your English is perfect." Yeah, and then and then I open my mouth, and they're like, "Okay, wait a second. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like they're like, "Oh wait, 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 wait. This guy speaks perfect English, yeah. right? Yeah. And then. And then the then the whole like back and forth has to start, exactly, right? Where they, I have they to know explain that myself. They can communicate to you on a level where like you can't do that with the first generation. Yes, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I, people all ask me all the time. I've gotten so many random questions. I've been asked if if I'm Native American, if I'm Indian, if I'm Afghani. <laughs> Um, all the things. I can see all those actually. 
you? Someone asked me the other day out there, like, is like the nose ring like a cultural thing? And I was like, no. But I mean, I understand it. Like, I'm the only Latina working in a office full of. Also, you know, do a lot of Latinas wear nose rings? No, not really. Well, I think it's kind of like a little bit more. You American, bro. <laughs> no, colonized. <laughs> I'm the only one here without a nose ring. <laughs> but you got, but you have the merch. <laughs> but I, I will say though, in a, in a kind of like, I, again, this is something that's unique to the second generation. There's also a weird, for me at least, there's a weird like reverse too when someone sees me and assumes that I'm a foreign person. Like even when I talk to them, like I literally- And then they're I like, was, where are you I from? Was like, I was like buying something at like a YMCA something at one time. And then like there was this random white dude that came up and, and I was like walking around and I was talking to the friend that I had. It was very clear that we were both- native english speakers at least to me like very clear right well i mean it's good for you because he's white right yeah but then like but then like he turned around to us and said like oh i love it when um the international students come around and i looked at him and i was like you're like bro i'm from virginia what like i'm from virginia what about this tells you international students okay, maybe but maybe he's super up to date because a lot of international students because they go to international school and they learn English from a very young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of my international friends from China or Korea, bro, their English sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure, even I'm sure. You I don't know. know. I don't I know mean, about I mean, that. I'm like the person to them, I'm like, your English. They'll be dressing with bro. all these brands, but then their English is perfect. It's so good. Yeah, like, too good actually. That's how you can tell yeah. these days if they're yeah. Their English is yeah. Too good. I don't know. I think there's something about like in like someone who's an international student who like went to an international school. Like, it's almost too formal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas, like, you you can tell when there's someone who's like a like a yeah. second generation, like they grew up in the United States, like the slang that they use, the way that they express themselves is yeah. like very. Again, it's, it's, it's but again, like with globalization, it's weird because of Netflix shows that like Americans watch, Korean people can watch, right? And like, uh, or, right, fair. the rise, right, of, like, and drama mm-hmm. too. Right. So it's like a weird mixing of cultures where like some of my Korean friends are like, oh, I've seen that. I've seen The Office in Korean subtitles. And I'm like, that's I so weird. That's office. so weird. Yeah. You know, like the other day, um, I, uh, you know, and, and to that same thing with language, people ask me like, oh, um, um, first and foremost, they always, always think that I'm an international student. Like, they do. I'll, like I'll, no one know. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't know that Puerto Rico is a colony and <laughs> that we're U.S. citizens. And then I have to add that like layer of explanation, which is kind of like weird because a lot of people that I, I get to, um, I get to know from different countries in the world. They know that, but, but Americans don't. So that's kind of like interesting. But then they ask me like, how, when did you get to the States? And I, and I say two years ago. And the first thing that they say, it does not fail. They say, but your English is perfect. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, you're going to pick up an accent soon in the conversation. But like, that's the first thing that they say, assuming that you wouldn't see. You know what's the it, difference though? between you and, and me and Terrence? You're actually first gen in some ways. In many ways. I mean, I know that, you know, Puerto Rico is a colony. Yeah, 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 yeah. Citizenship. But you're paranoid because like, Sophia is always saying my English isn't good. 
when she always being like, oh, I need to work on my English and my writing skills in English, right? Your paranoia is always resting on the language that is secondary to you. Right, 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 right. Your default true. is Spanish, right? Right, right. But for us, our paranoia rests on our, our native tongue, yeah. right? Like, I'm terrified of speaking in Korean or, like, writing in it because I know I'm booty at it. Yeah, right? that's kind of funny. So our default is English in many ways, right? We're, we're very thoroughly second gen. Mm-hmm. But for you... Yeah. It, it's but it's kind of weird though because like you're first gen but with the cultural skills and the language proficiency of a second gen basically yeah but i think it's yeah. just like that colonization piece that it's different in a way i feel like it's colonization and globalization too like the combination yeah, together, of yeah. these two factors that it's like i still can eat very cultural food while right next to that place i'm just like i just got groceries from walmart and costco and i'm gonna get a burger from Mac- in, mcdonald's in Puerto Rico? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and you know like it happens like that you know you can go to mcdonald's every, anywhere in the world pretty much sure but and that's like the globalization yeah. piece but then you have this other factor colonization yeah. that i think it just influenced because like we are pretty you know up to speed with a lot of things that are happening in america like not necessarily like with everything our cultural references to a degree are different but there's still some kind of influence yeah. plus your uh islander mentality exactly islander <laughs> mentality <laughs> I mean, I for was, sure that's was, a real thing i was watching beef like this netflix show that came out and like it's a it's like a it's an Asian American cast, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of Korean Americans. And like in the show, they were talking about how <laughs> Korean Americans were like, "Yeah, we got that peninsula mentality." Exactly. And I'm like, what exactly. does that even mean, I bro? Think that peninsula mentality. You know, if, <laughs> I, I will at least okay. I'll talk about like the Islander mentality, and uh, maybe I'll experience some 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 pushback from people that listen to this. But we I do think cancel you. Yeah, they're gonna be <laughs> they're gonna cancel me. But you can just unfollow. No, please, please. I, this is a startup. Company. Company. Don't unfollow. <laughs> Stay to cancel. Don't unfollow. Stay to cancel. No, no. Um, but I think that when it's like when you're in the U.S. and uh, I think that geography influences, right? This. this oh, for yeah. sure. You're you're in one place and you can drive and you can continue to drive and drive and drive. And I think that the possibility of you getting from another place are kind of like, in in a way, it's there. It's like endless because if you get out of the U.S., well, then you just continue driving down to Mexico and down to South America. And I think that that influences in the way that we think about the world and things. It's like there's possibility outside of whatever I'm experiencing right now. In Puerto Rico, it's different because we're surrounded by water. Eventually, you'll hit the beach, and then two hours, you, like, turn around, and two hours, it, you're, you're hitting the other side of the, of, of the island. Yeah. And it's like there's a limit in land and i think that impacts the way that that there's a limit to our mindset in a way Maybe and i like, think is it always like scarcity mindset yes absolutely absolutely and i think that's something that impacted at least me in a way when i was about to leave i knew for sure that i wanted to go to grad school in the states and everyone Every single person that I told that I was going to leave asked me, but how are you going to do it? It's like impossible. Um, You're not going to be able to make it. Like there was all these questions and it all came from a place from fear. I'm not going to say like I want to make sure that I make the um, clarification that I feel like Puerto Ricans are so resourceful, are so determined and hardworking, but... At the same time, I feel like there's 
a, a, a limitation in mentality. Maybe it's because of that colonization relationship from uh, from the colonizer to the colonized um that i uh, that i really i'm so interested in continuing to kind of like study that relationship but i do think that it impacts the mindset and how we see the world how we relate to other people our relationships how we think about possibilities in terms of like work our relationships and family it's just it's it's very interesting i I wonder if it's kind of like with the u.s we have things like manifest destiny Where there's a sense, like there was a movement in the past where people were like, there is unexplored land. We have to go and see what's out there. But mm. with Puerto Rico... It's like, this is it. You <laughs> know... It you, it, it, you know Manifest the, Destiny in, yeah. in Spanish, it's uh, Divino Manifiesto. But there's a, different, there's a different meaning to that too. But in Puerto Rico, do you feel like, do you know the island like the back of your hand? And of course, there's always like an infinite amount of things to explore. But I wonder if the mentality is kind of different. Where, like, I think with the U.S., it is daunting, right? Right. You could be from Virginia or you could be from the coast. You'd be like, I have no idea what's on the West Coast, like right. on the East Coast. And there's people that never leave the country. Never. Although in Puerto Rico, too, but, you know, like, the, 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 I think, there's still places. I, think, I think I've experienced that, but more in relation to time and distance. So... Like, I think one thing that's really unique about the United States is that everything is really spread out. Sure. Right? Our towns and cities are all really spread out. I mean, like, even our Costco's is one floor, right? Costco's right, one right. floor. Korea's right, right. Korea's Costco is 12 floors. Right. Exactly. Stop. Yeah, I mean, because there's no land, bro. Where are you going to put? Yeah. Where are you going to land? Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> nowhere, there's nowhere to put anything. Right? You have to build up. Um, but in the United States, we have literally so much land. We just keep spreading out. Ohio, bro. Right, Ohio. Ohio. Right? But also our sense of like... Cornfields. Our sense of distance is also like changed in a way. Because... Um, so like my siblings live in Taiwan, which is a, another small island, right? You can go from the top, like from the northernmost point to the southernmost point in four hours. Right? It's not not a huge island. Um and I remember talking to like some people that were there, like, um, I was like, yeah, I live like a nine hour drive from my parents and their minds were literally blown. (laughs) They were like, they were like in nine hours, you could go around the entire island and like get back to your starting point in nine hours. Right. Mm -hmm. For them, like a long date, like a long trip, like a vacation is like a two hour drive. Yeah. yeah. That's right. True. Right. Yeah. A two hour drive is like a week vacation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kind of, kind of travel. And for a lot of Americans, like a two hour drive is like your everyday commute. It's literally a commute. Yeah. It's a commute. It's like your, your everyday, like I sometimes like as a musician, I drive to gigs that are two hours away mm-hmm. for the day. And then yeah. I drive back. Yeah. Right. So it's like, our sense of distance and time is really like dude my grandma everything like i remember when hurricane katrina happened she called us was so worried we were living in michigan at the time (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) she's like are you guys okay because in korea yeah when it happens in one spot right it happens everywhere right yeah you know uh puerto rico like it i probably in our roof it's in puerto rico a couple times (laughs) i mean just kidding and and i and i wonder like (laughs) With a smaller country, you have a greater sense of solidarity because, like, it's a it's a unified experience. Whereas in the U.S., maybe what contributes to our polarization is the fact that we live in such we live so far away. 
like the earthquake that happens in in like California. Southern California, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. I have the Great Lakes surrounding me. Yeah. Like, why do I care about them over there? But that goes down to like if we experience different things, like it's just like we live worlds completely apart and there's no sense of me relating to your experiences because yeah. they're so distant. Yeah. But also like um, I think something that's like unique, I guess, not unique, but different about a lot of Americans is that families are often separated in by by really large distances right right so like like you talk to the average family like you meet the parents and they're here in michigan and they're like oh yeah i have three kids one of them's in california and another one's in florida and the other one's in indiana and you're like oh okay and that's like normal (laughs) for an american family you see them twice a year. Yeah, you see exactly. them twice and then a year. Exactly, and that's even weird. And, more and they're we- everywhere across the nation. Right, right. right. And, the, and the sense of distance is massive. How could you not see your parents more often? Right, whereas like my relatives, like my family is an outlier. We're in the United States. All of my relatives live in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure, yeah. Right? And they're all like within an hour of each other. <laughs> yeah. That, right? Honestly, maybe I'm American, but that sounds suffocating. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I can't live on top of my. You're American, bro. (laughs) Colonize. (laughs) No. (laughs) Globalization. (laughs) What can I say? Okay, but actually, like, hi, I I did want to kind of. We started off in like talking about names. I did actually want to ask you, like, like how do you feel about your Korean Mm -hmm. name? So versus your. So I've had I've had to reflect a lot about this where. In the past, for some reason, I felt so much shame and embarrassment for, like, causing a disruption in, like, the day-to-day experience. Like, the first day of class was terrifying for me because I would go into class. And, it like, looking back and, like, explaining it, it feels like it's not a big deal, but it was traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> it's traumatic. And there was one time where I decided to do an experiment where I decided to not correct my teacher. And so in the eighth grade, Mr. Mr. Ridgely, if you're watching this, <laughs> I forgive you, bro. But I'm just telling you that for an entire semester, he didn't know my name because I didn't go by David. And I lived in a very white town. So he would just say, hoo, hoo, hoo. like he didn't know how to say my name. He'd be like, yeah. He just pointed to me. Wow. And I forgive you, bro. It's okay. You didn't know how to pronounce my name. <laughs> Korean wow. people, there weren't a lot of Korean people in Munster, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> But I felt so much shame by this. And I think with with the term diaspora and like the sense of like being proud of where I come from. Yeah. I'm also realizing that it's not my fault. It's not mm-hmm. my fault that they can't pronounce my name. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. And, and I think maybe this speaks to like a colonized mindset or maybe like a minority mindset where I just assume that the majority is right. Mm-hmm. That their inability to produce pronounce my name means that I did something wrong. Yeah. But actually, yes, right? Yeah. Exactly, because even like when you speak the language, I remember that I had two friends that they, I, I would always feel so nervous to speak English. And this was probably like a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. Um, because they would make fun of ways that, I, like the ways that I would pronounce things. And I read a quote like the other day or some post that said like, immigrant people like speak english because like 
you can't speak another language. Yeah. And and I need to speak the language because you can't speak We're another language. We're accommodating for you. We're because you can't accommodate for it, me. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then you are making, you know, like, you don't speak another language because you just don't speak another language. And I speak your language because you don't speak another language. Like, yeah. then in that, you know, like, but then I then feel like I just, I just don't know. I feel yeah. shameful because of that. And then I kind of, like, retracted. Mm in my social relationships because I was like, what am I going to say that might be wrong yeah. when I'm the one that's bilingual, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So like, I think coming to the realization that it's not my fault and that it's not necessarily their fault either. Like I can't blame them for being to, to grow up, to be born in a family where like they don't speak any other language than English. Right. How is that their fault? You know? <laughs> yeah, we, we it's kind of like the gym, and I, I think, yeah. I think the gym is an important place where, like, at the twenty four fitness, right? It says like, oh, we all begin somewhere, right? <laughs> and that's true. Like, we all begin somewhere. And, and, and in a way, I think that we also can't blame people for being unaware. Yeah. I think because at, at least the, same, the first, at least the first couple times. Yeah, right? at least, but at the same time, I, th- I feel like some people come from very very homogeneous environments yeah mm-hmm. and that it's not that necessarily like their fault either yeah. like they were never necessarily like exposed to people that yeah don't look like them yeah yeah and don't talk like them and they're not used to having that awareness of people that yeah. looked differently but at the same time there gets to a point that you have a choice that you can kind of like let that be or you can expose yourself that's why i'm i i'm always eh, i feel icky when people say like i don't want to travel yeah. i don't want to leave like my hometown yeah. or my state because it's like you don't want to see other life that's out there that's not your own and it's it's not that we're excusing racism but to some extent, all of us exist in circles where it is very homogenous, mm-hmm. and it's hard to understand the other, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And like, I, I, I don't love using the term racism so broadly. Yeah, I think part of the problem, I think, in today's climate, right, is that the term racism encompasses so many things that, and I, for me, like in my mind, I think I like I. I kind of differentiate between like intentional sure like malicious racism like the KKK yeah like the KKK and and unintentional like ignorance right and I have a lot more understanding and and uh empathy for someone who grew up in a midwestern town who only grew up with only white people and has never traveled outside the state like I have a lot more empathy for that person than someone who like i don't know was like from like new york city yeah. or something and i would i would even say that in those circumstances i do not mind carrying the responsibility of education because it's kind of like you know it's kind of like and in a way there is why you're laughing no, no, <laughs> i'm just imagining that scenario because it's happened to me too where i'm just like <sighs> okay, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way, it's like it's not their fault. Yes, and exactly. you know, yeah. even I, I think I've, I've thought about this so much. Like, what is my role as diaspora? And it's to me, it's like frustrating because, like, I left be, I, I left 
um, Puerto Rico, like the 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 common uh, the economy wasn't really like favorable. Like it was just like very. I felt very overwhelmed, and I really, if I wanted to grow in my career, I really couldn't stay. So I felt like I had to leave. Like I didn't have a choice. And I do feel in a way that I kind of like I I, I at the beginning I felt like okay, well then then I can't do like the work. I was very much involved in like political activism and community organization i was very much of a nationalist in a sense and then when i came here i'm like okay i gave up on those things and i think that i've kind of like reconciled the idea in a way that my i can further the work being diaspora too Mm -hmm. and maybe that means through education and through conversations like these and i do not mind taking them on when people are genuine and when they ask you questions or they come from environments where they've never been exposed to other things and ultimately that's not their fault. Yeah. And yeah. I, I can I can teach in a way. Yeah. Sometimes I don't feel like it, but in other opportunities if I can and I feel like it's genuine, I, I'll I'll yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. And I do think like it's really worth pointing out that like this kind of conversation that we're having right now is a privilege that yeah. our parents did not have. Right. Um, I think, like, I noticed recently that, like, when when my parents, my parents moved to a rural southwestern Virginia town in 1984. Yeah. 1984. Yeah. Right? There were maybe two other families that spoke Cantonese. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a sum total of maybe 100 Chinese people in a town of, like, 30,000, 40,000, right? Yeah. Like, and, and then that's not even including their surroundings. And I think my parents' greatest challenge was to assimilate as quickly as possible. Right, right. right. Survival. They had, survival. Yeah, survival. Like, mindset. they didn't have the privilege of talking about the ways that they were traumatized by the way that they had to explain their names. Like they were like, we just need to put food on the table and provide for our children. Yeah, you'll call me yeah. Bob. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Call me whatever you want. Like I just need to meet, be able to show that I can hold this job. Yeah. And like, I need to be able to put food on the table for my children and I need to be able to do like all of these things. Um, and I think like, so, so sometimes like, sometimes when I talk to my own parents about like, stuff like this my parents are like what what's the problem just yeah just go by whatever they want to call you or like they, they have a very like they have they have the put your head down and grind mentality yes they have right? a kind mm-hmm. of put your head down and don't rock the boat and just keep going and it's like if you want to be accepted you have to be a better citizen than them yeah right you have and, to work harder than them and yeah whatever. and earn your place kind oh, of thing and and it's only like when us second generation come around and now with the benefit of, of time, yeah. right, we have the privilege of being like, what, what should this be? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like I, th- I think it's worth pointing out how much progress we've made, honestly, within yeah. one generation, right? Within the past 30 years, we've made so much progress in, like, in welcoming other voices and like welcoming other people. There's still a lot to do, for sure, but we, we have done a lot. Yeah, I do definitely think so. So on that note... I'm going to start wrapping up. Um, I love this conversation. Wait, wait, wait. I think 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Wait, we lost this piece of conversation? Okay. Is it just going to be me, me and Terrence? Go go down. Remember the happened before? Just go down. No, I know. I'm looking at it. Oh, wait, what the? Why does it say no input? Technology. Because you unplugged it. Oh, is this even... There we go. Okay, ah. we got it. Yeah, 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 we got it. So you just... You know what I was going to say the last thing about my name, though? In a weird way? Now that I'm older, I don't have a problem with people... Also, my name is pretty easy to pronounce with an American accent. But we still... Right, it's still Americanized to some extent, but mm -hmm. it's close enough. It's close enough to the original where it's not like yang bang, right? Like it's just so obviously wrong. Yeah. With mine, it's close enough, right? Where I don't have a problem with it. My issue now is that I feel like Korean people judge me because my, act, like, uh, my American accent is kind of strong in Korean. Mm -hmm. where, and also my name is like mainly for females, so people don't expect uh, me to be named Hyung. When I say my name, it actually takes me a couple tries because people don't know what I'm saying. And it, the same feeling that I felt for Mr. Ridgely is the same feeling I feel now for Korean <gasps> people. So I'm yeah. like, bro, Redemption. let me be, bro. Should I just go by David with them? <sighs> like, I'm confused now, bro. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Actually, this is, a, this is an extremely important area of being second generation is that not only do you feel alienated from your peers that, right. in the place that you live in, but you also feel alienated when you go back to your mm -hmm, home, mm -hmm. quote unquote, home country. Yeah. Right. Right? And, and, my relatives, I, I use this example all the time. My relatives call me a banana, that I'm yellow on the outside, but I'm white on the inside. You are. Right. But so am I. <laughs> where, where I've heard that people in the U.S. call them an egg, white on the outside and yellow on the inside. Right. Um, and... <laughs> And it's like there's there's it carries a deep there's there's a deep sense of shame and inadequacy for yeah. second generation people when it comes to our quote unquote native tongue. Yeah. Right. And and then it's like where do you belong? Where do you belong? Yeah. Where do you belong? Like like even today, like I, every time I go back to Hong Kong, I'm always there with my parents, and my grandparents will ask me the the, the three basic questions, right? Are you still in sure, school? Sure. Do you have a girlfriend? Um, are you living with your parents? Are you living with your parents? You know, how are you doing? Are you okay? Those are like the three basic questions. Um, but then after that, beyond that point, my parents are like in their nine. Like grandparents are like in their nineties. Um, in their mind, they've crystallized that my Chinese is bad. Sure. And so they don't even try talking to me in Chinese. <laughs> Right, that's doesn't so, that's it, so savage, bro? It doesn't matter. It lit like it literally does not matter how much work I've done on my Cantonese. They will just turn to my parents, and I understand everything they're saying, right? Which makes it even more insulting. But they will turn to my parents and say, "Oh, what is, does what does he do for a job?" Or like, or like, "Oh, like can you can you tell him to do this?" Sure, or like, sure. "Can you tell mm -hmm. him to like like can you ask him like what he wants to do about this?" And then my parents have to do that hard work of like translating, translating, even though I understand everything that they're saying. That's right. Sure. That's interesting. But like my grandparents have it like locked into their minds that my Cantonese is bad. So they're going to have to go through my parents to translate. Yeah. And they're not even going to try to broach 
like to 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 work past the language barrier, and it it actually happens like all the time when I go back to Hong Kong. I will start speaking Cantonese, and then the other person is like, "I can speak English," and then they just talk to me in English, right? Because they can hear. They're doing. They're doing what you do to American people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they they hear that my Cantonese has an accent, or I'm slightly stuttering with my Cantonese, and they're like, "Oh yeah, okay. This 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 kid grew up in America or whatever. So like, and I speak perfect English, so I'm just gonna switch to English." And and so like we feel that sense of alienation not only from our peers back back at home, but also from the people that we're supposed to belong to. Yeah. But see, that's why that's why he grew up in Virginia, right? Like that's why I actually want you to make second generation Chinese American friends, like because I feel like I have a whole community, bro. When I go back to California, everybody be second gen. Yeah. You know. Like all my friends are second gen. It's just like we have a solidarity mm-hmm. where we understand that, like, oh shoot, I don't know how to talk to my mom and dad, right? It's like a trauma bond. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, it is. <laughs> and then, like, oh, I can't really talk to my white friends, right? And so we have like this like community. Like, there's so many second gen Korean Americans. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, and again, I think that's the difference between Hyung and I. Like, he grew up in California, where there's yeah. a huge Asian population. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a place where my best friend was Asian, but all of my other friends are white. And it was weird talking to Terrence, where I was, at some point I was like, yo, what do you think it means to be Chinese American? You were like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a community. I'm like, oh, do that's... You s- <laughs> do you still not know? Um, no, I think I, think I do. Um, and it's because of these weird things. Like a few years ago, there was this Facebook group that just exploded pain is exploded when people still use Facebook wait are you talking about subtle Asian traits yeah subtle Ah! Asian traits (laughs) what is this Um, so it's a it's a it's a Facebook group that's just memes that's all it is it's just memes it's amazing it's amazing Uh, but it was started by a bunch of uh, Asian Australians actually oh wow Um, and they started this Facebook group to share memes about like like things that they found relatable as Asian Australians. And then for some reason, like the Americans got in and it exploded to a giant, like this, this like subtle Asian traits has like, it's huge millions of people in it. It's gigantic. Um, Who creates the content? Literally anyone. Well, there's moderators, right? That's true. So you'll post, you'll post something and it's like for approval. Mm -hmm. And like so many spinoff uh, spinoffs of subtle Asian traits, where there was subtle subtle Asian dating. So mm-hmm. before Hinge was a thing, like you would up like as a friend, you would up, like for example, I would upload Terrence's profile. So I put pictures of him up there, and I put an entire bio <laughs> of what he wants, who he is, what he's like, and people will comment and DM. So this was happening during COVID. Yeah. There's, so there's so there's the thing like there's like like offshoots like subtle Cantonese traits. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Subtle or Korean dating. Subtle, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's like little offshoots that happen. But I think like it's through actually through the stuff. education part. You guys were educating me. It's it's actually we got like you. it's it's you actually Islander. like through it's through stuff like this that like 
it's like it's like that process of realizing that that I'm not alone. Yeah. Or like right? or like or like like recent media, like everything everywhere all at once, right? Yeah. Or like recent media, exactly. Like crazy rich Asians and everything everywhere all at once, yeah. where like like we see we're we're beginning to see like media representation and like cultural representation that actually speaks to our lived experience right 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 and and that makes us feel less alone and and also makes us realize that like that there are certain aspects of growing up as a chinese american that are like kind of universal in a in a, in a way mm. yeah oh definitely right and maybe these things also validate the dual cultural influence in who we are and i think that maybe a couple years ago like one would cancel the other one out it's like you're exclusively from one place or another and i think that maybe now part of the conversation is like wait but i can have dual influence on these two things i can grow up in a house where spanglish is a thing and um i i can accept that and it can be from both places yeah you know yeah and and I think like to like I think what I'm realizing now as I grow a little bit older, I am not old. I refuse to believe that I'm old. Uh, even though these these freshmen make me. Feel I don't old. even know what to tell you with that, bro. Uh, these freshmen make me feel make me feel really old. Uh, honestly, I'm not kidding. Like they speak, and I'm like, I don't know. Low what you're key, saying. same. I literally don't know what you're talking about. Um, but. He's also homeschooled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Are you going to keep on isolating us? <laughs> so, y'all, y'all got that homeschool diaspora feeling, huh? You just want to come to public school, the mainland. <laughs> <laughs> Brother. Um, anyways, what I was trying to say is that I think, like, um, I'm realizing more and more recently that the even, even though like the second generation experience can be very traumatizing and can cause a lot of problems, honestly, later on in life. Um, there, there's also a lot of, of ways that it's a strength, mm-hmm. right? That it's, it's actually because I've lived this experience, I have experience in um, bridging two cultures. You're literally a bridge. Mm-hmm. I'm literally a bridge between two cultures and and i have a foot in each world and i can see things one way and see things another way mm-hmm. and it's because of my experience that i'm able to do that i think a lot of people that grew up in a very homogenous culture they really struggle to view the world in a different way yeah right and they they really struggle to view the world in a way in in, in any other way than what they grew up with and um Honestly, I think my experience has really allowed me to be like, you know what? I can I can see how someone would yeah, think that way. Yeah, yeah. But I also can see how someone else would yeah. think this way because I have that experience of of constantly trying to cater to one world and then switching to cater to another world. Yeah. Um and that's that's something that I that I am learning to be proud of actually. Yeah. And and to be proud of like like I don't my my the two areas of my life like like me being an American but me also being Chinese like they don't have to be at war with each other exactly exactly and and neither one has to be stronger than the other like I can I can embrace both mm-hmm. fully 
and live in both worlds and and take that as um, take that as a strength of mine and something to be proud of. Um, I don't I don't have to erase one or I don't have to diminish yeah. one in right. order to be healthy right. and thrive. Yeah, I do. I love that actually. So if you're diaspora. <laughs> What's going to be the line? Stay strong. Stay strong. Stay strong. Well, both of you, thank you for, for taking time to have this conversation with me. I I think that this is was great. This is your best episode, huh? I think it was. Well, I can't. I can't. I can't say. You can't say that. Try but I have great content out that, there. We, Try we, summarizing we, this episode, though. Can you summarize this episode? You can't say that, but we, we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first one that has merch on it and in, in video. Yep, yep. Definitely. Anyways, thank you guys. I really appreciate you both. I'm glad I can have these conversations with two great friends. It's hilarious because like outside of the podcast, like this is what we usually talk about. Yes, this yeah. is what we usually <laughs> talk about. <laughs> we're just having a regular conversation. Like some here. of these stories we're like, yeah, we talked about this already. <laughs> <laughs> we're, just for, we're just telling it for you. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yep, yep, oh, yep, lucky. yep. For a listener, so um, if you want to be a part of our friend group, maybe you can't. Uh, you can't. <laughs> this uh, is the mainland. Very yeah, exclusive. Yeah, yeah. We're very gonna create exclusive. a diaspora for you, bro. <laughs> you <ain't coming> <laughs> <in> <laughs> here. Um. Anyways, stay stay tuned to the next episode, and uh, thank you guys for for joining me in this conversation. Anytime. All right. Yep. Bye. See ya. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast Clayton Wade who did all the production the mixing the sound engineering um everything and put so much time into bringing so much quality to this episode for you guys to enjoy also special thank you to Anacarrion Digital Consulting for the graphic designs I am Sofia Ortiz director and host for this project if you want to continue to support us please follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Google Play. You can also follow us on Instagram at diaspora.redefined. And if you want to leave comments, reviews, um, some thoughts that you'd like to share with me, you can email me at diaspora.redefined at gmail.com. Next episode is launching June 17th. So put it on your calendar. I hope that you all can tune, tune in again at that time to listen to the third episode. Until the next time.